Thank you for tuning in to Avant Life's weekly podcast. We hope this message inspires you, stirs your faith, and leaves you blessed. Hey, I've been loving um, the start of this series, like I said, called Be Better. And uh, I hate it when preachers do this, but I'm going to do it anyways. Just turn to your neighbor and look them in the eye and just say, Be Better. Online, you can say it to someone next to you. Oh, no one likes to hear that all the time, hey? That kind of hurts, stings a little bit when someone says that. Thankfully, as we study the book of James, it's not just James saying, hey, you suck, you need to be better. It's a little bit of that. But we always come back to the God's grace working in and through our lives as we grow as followers of Jesus. This letter, written by James, the brother of Jesus, it's addressed to a scattered group of believers who are trying to work out what does it mean to follow Jesus in the middle of a lot of pressure and persecution. We talked about this a couple weeks ago, that that the church was scattered and being spread as persecution ramped up. And and these believers that once had a center of gravity around Christian leadership and Christian community were now being scattered. And James, their pastor, is trying to write to them and say, hey, don't forget what it means to follow Jesus. Many of these people would have grown up in a system that emphasized the rules of religion. Make sure you do X, Y, and Z. Make sure you do this on these specific days. It was a system that was about having the right confession but, and had a little bit about going through some of the right motions. But in this letter, we hear James say loud and clear that following Jesus is not just about having right belief or just about having right actions. It's about both of these things. Our belief in Jesus is meant to shape the way that we live. I think in our Western Christian culture, we have a lot of people that believe the right thing. Like we could check off the box. If given a test, we could answer the right questions about theology and doctrine and, and who is Jesus. But then if we put that test up against our lifestyle, that's where there would be a gap that exists, a gap that's living. And the truth is, I have this gap in my life. I know this about myself. In a lot of ways, there's a difference, maybe in, some, in some cases, a large difference between how I live and how I think Jesus would live if he were in my unique place. I think that's true of all of us. If we were to honestly reflect on our life and how do we live, that there would be a gap in some of these places. Most of us don't lack the intention to follow Jesus. We intend to do the right thing. We intend to obey God. We hear a sermon and we're like, yep, tomorrow I'm going to do it. Most of us don't lack intention. Many of us, myself, I lack the follow through often. But in this letter, James is calling us as followers of Jesus to do more than just intend to live like Jesus. Intention is good. But that intention actually needs to start to shape the way that we live. We need to be better. He's telling us to let our faith in Jesus shape and change not just some of our life, not just our calendar on a Sunday, not just what we say we believe or some of the people we hang out with, but let it shape all of our lives. So very quick recap. We're in week three of this series. In week one, James spoke to us about trials. He says to us to endure trials with joy. He says, consider it pure joy. When you walk through trials, when you face trials of many kind, 
Because when we do, he says it produces perseverance in us. And when perseverance is given time to do its work, he says that we will become mature and complete and lacking nothing. Trials are inevitable. Our response to trials determines what those trials produce in us. Trials always produce something. It can make us bitter and angry and sad and fearful, or those trials can make us, like James says, mature, complete, and lacking nothing in God. Last week, we talked about temptations. Trials and temptations, though both inevitable in our life, are not to be endured the same way. Where James says, endure trials with joy, he does not say the same about temptations. He says, temptations are meant to be resisted. We resist temptation and overcome them, however, when we are reminded and convinced that every good and perfect gift comes from God. Sin is always a counterfeit. Sin is always a shortcut to something that God wants to give you, and it takes more than it ever pro- says it will. And so James says this. He's like, look, temptation is like, it's going to happen, but what's his solution? He says, don't forget, every good and perfect gift comes from God. Don't go outside of his way. And when I'm convinced that what God says for me and what God has for me is better, I get, then get to stand up under the weight of temptation towards sin. If you missed any of these, you can jump on YouTube or the podcast and you can catch up and follow along with us. This week, James is going to talk to us about how to wisely approach the word of God. How to approach God's word with wisdom. We're still in James chapter 1, verse 19 to 25. And it says this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at their face in a mirror. And after looking at themselves, goes away and immediately forgets what they look like. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Jesus, we thank you for your word today. We ask that we would not just go through the motions of hearing and going on with our life, but we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would capture our attention, that we would hear what you have to say, and that we'd be obedient to do what you've asked us to do. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, do you remember when it took longer than like 30 seconds to learn something about a topic? <laughs> or to learn everything about a topic? <laughs> do you remember those times like you were in, a, in an argument with friends and, and you're trying to like figure out like the solution to this argument and then you had to agree to disagree because you didn't know the facts about something? That never happens anymore, Right? It's like, no, I think it happened like this. No, this is how it went. It's like, oh, give me one second. Let's figure this out. There's no agreeing to disagree about facts anymore. We can just find things out right away. Or another time, like, you remember when you're trying to remember a detail about your, like a celebrity or an athlete or something like that? You're like, what was the stats of that year and that athlete? And you had to be like, oh, I don't know. You don't ever have to do that anymore. Google has changed everything. That stuff doesn't happen. 
We live in one of the most unique generations in history because nearly everything you could ever hope to know is just one search away. That phone in your pocket is powerful. It connects us to so much knowledge and it's instant. We have instant access to more information than we could ever imagine. I read this stat that says that today, over 2.5 quintillion bytes of data are created online every single day. Now, I don't know how big a byte is, and I don't know how many a quintillion is. But that sounds like a lot of information. And obviously, there's so many benefits to this. Obviously, we're all the, the beneficiaries of living in this day and age and this time in history. But the danger it creates is that we have a lot of people who know a lot of things, who know a lot of facts, but we have very few practitioners. People are well informed about things, but that knowledge can trick us into believing that knowing lots of information somehow makes us wise. And we all know people like this, don't we? That they can rattle off facts. They can debate like the best of them. But just knowing information, just knowing facts does not make us wise because knowledge does not equal wisdom. And this principle is also true in the way we approach and think about the Bible. Here's what we believe at Avant Life Church. We believe that the Bible is God's word. As a church, we believe that God's word is the only completely reliable truth. It's authoritative in our life. And so we accept God's word as authoritative and our manual for living. That's important that we establish that. If, if that's not settled in your heart, then some of the other stuff we'll talk about, you can take it or leave it. But for us as a church, we hold the Bible in high esteem. It is our authority. It is God's word to us. It speaks to every situation. The principles by it are the way to live in life in its fullness as God designed for us. That's what we believe about the Bible. But like everything else in life, we have access to more information about the Bible than at any time in history. Think about it. It wasn't, not, it wasn't that long ago that people were struggling to find Bibles. In fact, in some places in the world, that's still true. But for us in the West, we don't just have like Bibles laying around. I've got dozens of Bibles in my house. I've got, like, I've got study Bibles. There's probably like men's study Bibles and women's study Bibles and different translations and like kids' Bibles and like Bibles that I were given I've never opened before. I've got Bibles everywhere, but not just access to Bibles. We have information about the Bible. And if you can just take a bit of time to weed through what all the poor and misinformation out there, you can easily know a lot of things about the Bible. If you put a little effort in, you can know a lot of theology you can learn a lot of doctrine. You can know a lot about what the Bible says. You can even collect a whole bunch of ideas of like different perspectives, different camps or people have about the Bible. But just knowing what the scripture says is only part of it. Just knowing what the Bible says will not automatically make you wise or godly in the way that you live. To approach God's word with wisdom requires first that we hear and receive what it says, but then do something with what we've heard. 
it requires hearing and doing. This is wisdom in the lens of the scripture. It's not just knowing, it's doing. And this is the idea that James is getting at in our text today. First, James talks about how to hear right. We're not going to spend a ton of time in this section, but it's important that we understand this. There's a way in which we hear correctly. Because how many of you know that, like, have you ever talked to someone and you were very clear in your communication, but it was obvious by their actions they did not hear what you said? This happens when we read the Bible all the time. So James actually helps us know what's our posture in hearing rightly, because we can hear wrongly. Verse 19 to 21, I'll I'll read it quick and we'll just go through it quickly. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. In other words, listen. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry, because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Very quickly, five things that James lists here about how to hear rightly. First, he says, be quick to listen. Be quick to listen. To receive God's word requires the reader's attention and readiness to listen. It's Again, like I said, it's one thing to hear and it's another to hear rightly or hear wrongly. Have you ever been in a conversation with someone? It's like, yeah, they're hearing you, but only listening to how to respond. They're not hearing what you're saying. They're just trying to figure out what's my next statement. Where's my gotcha moment? Those people are not quick to listen. They're only hearing so that they can start speaking again. James says right away, hey, take note of this. Be quick to listen. This is a posture of our heart as we approach God's word, whether it's through teaching or whether it's our own time in God's word. Be quick and ready to listen to what it has to say. Number two, be slow to speak, it says. To rightly hear God's word means that we need to be quick to listen and slow to speak. It requires restrained speech. A continual talker cannot hear what anyone else is saying, including God. Some of us are like this. We talk a lot. We're quick to respond. We've got an opinion on everything. The Bible says that where there's multiplying words, where there's lots of words, evil is not far. As someone who talks for a living, that frightens me. says, be quick to listen, be slow to speak. Number three, he says, be slow to become angry. To hear God's word rightly requires a restraint in anger. Now, when I think about anger, I often think about someone that just has like, they're a loose cannon. They just get angry, they punch walls, they slam doors, they they do things like that. And that, I mean, we should be slow to do that too. That's kind of, that's, Childish. It's not how, that's not maturity. But I think James is getting at something even a little bit deeper. I think there's a wider application. Those who never stop talking often stir up controversies all around them. He says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. Have you met those people that everything's an argument? It's like you can say that the sky is blue and they'll tell you it's green. They know it's blue, but they just want to try to prove you wrong. Everything's a controversy. Everything is an argument. 
an argumentative attitude or spirit will always be a barrier to receiving God's truth in our life. If you can never be proven wrong, if you are always quick to respond, this is the anger that, that James is talking about. It'll be a barrier to hearing God's word. Additionally, those who are quick to become angry are those who, when they hear correction or when they hear rebuke, they immediately try to defend themselves or prove the accusation wrong. Have you ever been in that situation? We've all had this. Have you ever been critiqued about something? It's not fun. Don't get me wrong. It's never fun to be critiqued or rebuked by somebody. But do you know that feeling you get when it's like your first response is to defend yourself or to lash out? Or to, what, what are we doing? We're not hearing what's being said. We're just acting in anger. This is what James is getting at. He says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry. You'll never properly hear this way. Number four, he says this, get rid of all moral filth and evil that is prevalent. The picture here, of, of when he says, get rid of moral filth, the picture is like taking off a dirty article of clothing. Like take that off. And James is reminding us that all of us, no matter who we are, have stuff that needs to come off in our life. All of us are incomplete in our discipleship to Jesus. All of us struggle with sin in some area of our life. And he says, you have to have the approach that says, I'm ready to take off some of this filth. I'm ready to take off some of these things that I've collected and, and found in my life. Attitudes and sin and outlooks and behaviors in my life. We've got to be willing to take those things off as we approach God's word. Because if we approach God's word with no openness to change, how will we ever hear it rightly? And let me say this. If every time you hear or read God's word, all you're hearing is what other people need to do, you're not hearing it rightly. It is meant to first speak to you. It is meant to first. And if I'm reading the Bible and I'm not feeling rebuked ever, if I'm not feeling corrected ever, if I'm not feeling confronted ever, I'm not reading God's word properly. I'm not hearing rightly because I know my life doesn't line up to the perfect standard of Jesus yet. And so he says, be prepared to take off these things. And then finally he says, receive the word with humility. Man, pride will stop you from hearing rightly. Thinking you have all the answers will stop you from hearing rightly. And this is a byproduct of our age, I think. Again, because we have so much information. We can know facts about so many things. And it puffs us up with pride. James says, unless you can come towards God's word humbly, you'll never hear it right. Again, you'll hear stuff for somebody else, but you'll never hear it for yourself. So how does he say, how do we hear? He says, be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, getting rid of moral filth, and humbly receive God's word. This is how we are to hear rightly. It's not hard to hear information, but how do we hear properly? But again, hearing is not the end. We got to hear right, but it's not the end of the story. It's just the first part. Next, James tells us what we, are to, what we are to do once we have heard rightly. And he picks up in verse 22 and he says this, Don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. Don't just hear. 
do what it says. In other words, knowing and hearing what the word says is good, but it's not enough. If God's word is to be truly effective in transforming our life, if God's word is going to guide us in through life to make us wise and strong, if God's word is going to make us more like Jesus, we can't just hear it. We have to do something with what we have heard. We know this in all kinds of areas of life, right? Like you, you could go home today and you could read a ton on the internet about health and fitness. You could become like, like a TikTok expert today on like how to get fit and what nutrition you should have and all of those things. Like you could acquire all the knowledge possible. But you know this, just knowing all of those facts does not make you healthy, Right? It's like, yeah, I'm still, I still can't go up the steps without, like, passing out. <laughs> you have to do something with what you know for it to be effective. Parents in the room, how many of you know this? As you're raising kids, there's a big difference between hearing what I say and obeying what I say. One is good. The other is not. <laughs> it's frustrating. It's the same with God's word. Again, we believe that God's word is powerful. That God's word, the Bible, is truth to us. That it's no ordinary book. It's not just a book of good ideas and nice principles. We believe that by God's word, we we know what God is like. That by it, we know what God asks of us and how we are to live in the way of Jesus. By it, we get a glimpse of what God is on about here and now in the world. But just knowing what it says And doing nothing with it will never change you. At best, it will fill you with pride. Just knowing what it says won't add any power to your life. You have to do something with it. And what's the danger? James gives a real hard warning here. What's the danger when we just hear but never do anything with what we've heard? It's like the four scariest words in the Bible, four of the scariest words of the Bible. He says this, don't merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. The danger in just knowing a lot but not doing anything with what we know is that we become deceived. What's the hardest part about being deceived? Is that you don't know you're deceived because you're deceived. Meaning, this is why we need humility as we come walk through life in the word, meaning this, you can think you are absolutely right about something and be completely wrong. That's deception. That's the warning James gives. When you just collect knowledge, but don't do anything, The danger is you will walk through life completely deceived. You will think up is down and down is up. You will live in deception. We trick ourselves into thinking we're close to God or we're growing mature because we know lots of things, but it's a facade. The truth sometimes is that we're full of the right knowledge, but we're shallow we're immature, we're unwise, and our lives are not ready to stand up to any kind of real testing. But you could pass a test on paper. I think a lot of us approach God's word like this. 
if we read our Bibles at all on any regular basis, it's to check it off the list as done. It's just the motion we go through. I did my work. I fulfilled my duty. God should be happy with me. I read two chapters today. And we trick ourselves into thinking that we're growing more like Jesus because we've gone through emotion. Or we sit in seats and listen to a sermon or we listen to podcasts and we ask ourselves at the end, was the sermon good? Was the sermon good? Was it entertaining? We go to lunch after church. I'm saying this because I've done this. This, I'm not accusing anybody. I'm accusing myself. We sit at a table at a restaurant and we talk about, was the sermon good? How was the sermon? Was it, any, was it helpful or like, was it funny? Did it, was it too long? It was drab? If it's bad, we can fully disregard what it said with this attitude. It's like, ah, it wasn't very good. Move on with my life. Here's the next one. But in any of this, are we asking ourselves, what do I need to do with what I just heard? What if that was the lunchtime conversation? Not, was it good? What if it was, what do we need to do now? What's God asking of us now? Do you know that you can grow in maturity and Christ-likeness under very mediocre preaching? That is impossible. I love good preaching. I think a lot of our preachers in our church are fantastic. I love good preaching, but preaching itself doesn't hold power. Like just someone getting up and delivering something, like that's, there's no power in that in itself. But you can grow while hearing the most boring preaching in the world if you do something with what you hear. Conversely, you can be completely immature while week after week hearing world-class preaching because you don't do anything with what you've ever heard. (laughs) Thank you. Hearing the word is important. The solution is not to hear less. Don't get me wrong. It's like, oh, great. If that's the problem, I'm just going to hear less. I'm going to stop listening to sermons. I'm never going to read my Bible. I'm never going to research anything. Then I'm off, off the hook. That's not the solution. But when all we do is hear, when all we do is collect knowledge, but never put any of that understanding into practice in our life, it can result in living in deception. You know, I bet as James is writing this, he's recalling something his big brother would have said. At the end of Jesus' most famous collection of teachings, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says this, Matthew chapter 7, He says, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down and the streams rose and the winds blew and beat against the house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, the winds blew and beat against the house, and it fell with a great crash." We've talked already about trials and storms in life. How do we build a life that can withstand the inevitable trials? How do we build a life that can withstand the storms that come? Jesus says it like this. If you hear my words and put them into practice, your life will be strong. 
Why? Because you're building your house on a solid foundation. You're building your house on something that can last. Many of us can probably think of people, good people, who had, who had built their house on sand. And we know this only because when trials came, their life fell apart. They had collected knowledge, but maybe didn't have enough practice. Maybe we're that person right now. And it feels like our life is falling apart and we're realizing I know a lot of stuff, but it's just in my head. It's never made its way to its heart and in and through my life. When all we do is hear, we can live our lives in deception and end up building our lives on sand. James hammers this home with this illustration or this metaphor. He says in verse 22 and 23, he says, anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like someone who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. Like this is meant to be like a wild and absurd illustration. When we just hear God's word but don't do anything about it, we're like that person. It's like, he says, but they look intently into a mirror. Like picture this, you wake up in the morning, you go to the bathroom, you're looking at your face and you just notice everything that needs fixing. Like, this is me every morning. I'm like, oh, jeez. Like, there's stuff in your teeth. There's hair all over the place. There's zits that need to be popped. And you, like, you see it all. And then you just walk away and do nothing. Don't look if you think someone did that today. Don't tell them that. <laughs> like, this is an absurd thing. He's like, who would do that? It, it, it like, negates the point of the mirror altogether. If you're going to take the time to look in it and understand what's wrong and they'll not do anything, get rid of the mirror. The point of the mirror is to reveal what needs to change, reveal what needs to be done. If you consider yourself a follower of Jesus today, might there be areas in your life that you've looked into the mirror but forgotten what you look like? Maybe it's in like an area of like generosity. You know all the right things about generosity. You know even that God says that nothing you have is your own. All of it is a gift from him meant to be stewarded as he commands. But nope, close hands. I know what to say, but I'm not doing it. Maybe it's in areas of like care for the poor and the widow. I'm too busy, I can't do it. Maybe it's in areas of like Sabbath and rest. God invites us into this rhythm, but we make excuses. Maybe it's in an area of forgiveness. You know what is right. You know what the scripture says about forgiveness. But you're holding on to something because you want to prove yourself right. What if it's in an area of serving? Instead of treating church like a family where we all contribute, you just show up, expect all your needs to be met. There's no follow through. Loving our enemies, putting others above ourselves, being thankful in all circumstances. The list can go on and on. My question for all of us is this. Is there an area of our life where we've looked in the mirror, we know, but we've walked away and done nothing about what we've seen? I believe the invitation of Jesus today for all of us is to say, let's go back and look and then let's do something about it. Here's the truth. Listen, none of us are ever going to be perfect. James is not saying that the expectation is that there would never be a gap between our knowledge of God's word and our application of it. That's just going to be the reality as we follow Jesus in this life. There is always going to be a gap. 
But he's saying that the true test of maturity, that the true test of wisdom as followers of Jesus is not how much we know, but how much we're putting into practice. And he's challenging you and I to say, let's close the gap between what we know to be true and right and what we're doing with what we know. Let's not settle for just knowing more knowledge and facts. Let's be people who say wisdom is not measured by what we know, but by what we do with what we know. Let's be mature as we follow Jesus. And maturity, again, it's not just gaining more facts about something. It's living into the truth of what we know. But there's also tremendous fruit and blessing when we don't just hear God's word, we put it into practice. Worship team, you can join me as we get ready to close. Because all this feels a little heavy. It's like, okay, great. I just got to go and I just got to start doing more things. Do, 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 do. That's not what I'm asking any of us to do. I'm not asking you to make a list a mile long. I hope we, have, we can leave here with one or two things that we can engage in. But there's really good news. It's in verse 25. He says this, he says, he uses this illustration. If you hear God's word, don't do anything with it. It's like looking in this mirror and forgetting what you look like. Then he says, but whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they've heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. This is such good news. He says, whoever looks intently, whoever looks regularly, whoever looks carefully, whoever looks deeply, please don't leave here and say, well, I'm just not going to do that work anymore because there's already a big enough gap. No, James, the invitation is look deeper into God's word. Like, let's be people who study and know and immerse our hearts in what God says, whoever looks intently. And then he says, into the perfect law that gives freedom. This is not about rules and regulation for James. This is not trying to put a yoke of slavery back on people that says it's about how you perform. It's not about that. The perfect law is the law of grace and love. It's in response to Jesus' work in us. The perfect law reminds us that no one is righteous apart from the work of Jesus in our life and on our behalf. This is not about you figuring it out on your own. The perfect law reminds us that his grace is sufficient. In our weakness, he is strong. And then he says, to the one who looks intently into the perfect law and continues in it. In week one, we talked about perseverance. He's bringing it up again. When we persevere in it, when we continue to look, we continue to follow Jesus. We continue to obey. We continue to work it out. We don't give up when we fail. We keep coming back to his grace and his strength. Not forgetting, but doing. Not leaving without remembering what we look like. He says, they will be blessed in what they do. On one side, he says, when we hear and don't do anything, we risk living in deception. And that terrifies me. But conversely, on the other end, to those who hear and then do with what they've heard, apply it to their life, they will be blessed in what they do. And I want to live blessed in what I do. I want to live with wisdom, not the world's wisdom, but God's wisdom. I want to be mature, not because I can win an argument, but because I'm like Jesus. 
I'm growing like him. We don't get there by simply reciting the right lines. We get there to this blessed in all they do when we hear rightly and then in God's strength do something with what we've heard. So we're going to go back into worship in a minute but before we get there a message like this requires a pretty practical response. First we're going to point our direction towards the grace and goodness and love of Jesus. Everything we do is in response to that. Again, do not leave here with a yoke on you that says you just have to work harder in your own strength. We need to throw ourselves on the strength and grace of Jesus. But I want us to think about two things as we worship. I'm going to ask the Holy Spirit to come and reveal this to us as individuals. The two things are this. What is one thing you haven't wanted to hear from God? Like in what area? You know, you're like, no, nah, I'm just going to talk and drown it out. Nope, not going to do it. I think some of us, if we give ourselves enough space, there's an area, it's like, I just don't want to hear what God has to say in that area of my life. I'm too scared, I'm too overwhelmed, I'm too committed to it already, whatever it might be. I'm too comfortable. Would you be willing to hear what he has to say about it? What's one thing you haven't wanted to hear from God? Number two, what's one thing that you have heard and you know you need to start putting into practice today? Please don't make 10 things. Man, what a burden that might be. But what about one? I know I need to forgive that person. I know I need to start engaging in the life of the church this way. I've been avoiding that person or treating that person poorly. I've been talking like this about that behind that person's back. Whatever it is. What's one thing you haven't wanted to hear? What's one thing that you have heard? And today is the day I'm going to start putting it into practice in my life. Can we stand? Holy Spirit, we thank you for your word. And we thank you that you speak. And I ask that you would speak to each of us. Help us to hear rightly. Would we be quick to listen? Slow to speak. Slow to anger. Would we humbly receive what you have to say to us? So God, we do ask that you would bring to our minds something that we've been avoiding, not wanting to hear. And I pray that you would bring to the top of our minds something that we know we need to start doing. And then we ask that in your grace and by your strength, we would start to do something with what we know. God, we want to be mature and we want to be wise. We want to be strong in this life as we follow you. So God, let us not fall into the deception of just knowing more facts and knowing more things. But would we be those whose wisdom and maturity and strength would be seen in the way that we live with what we know? Holy Spirit, come and minister to our hearts, I pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this message. We would love you to subscribe to our weekly podcast. Other ways you can connect with Avant Life is through YouTube, Instagram, and Facebook. Or check out our website at avantlifechurch.com.